in many ways, in last week's message about the life of Joseph, I tried to encourage each of us individually to reflect on how Joseph reacted and kept faith during times of severe trial. We can learn from this great man of God what it looks like to trust God when times are tough. This week, I want to look at Joseph in a very different light. We are going to look at Joseph almost exclusively as a type of Christ, a shadow of the great salvation God cherished in his heart from eternity for fallen mankind. I've done this intermittently throughout the other messages in this series, but I want that to be our exclusive focus this morning. Biblically, a type of Christ is a person or event that shares important features with the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. Some of these people, such as Joseph and Moses and Joshua, lived centuries before Jesus was born, and yet God preserved a record of their lives in his word in such a way that those who really look can see Jesus foreshadowed in these ancient events. So, as I read, keep Joseph as a type of Christ at the forefront of your mind. So let's read together Genesis chapter 41, beginning in verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. The famine was in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain, because the famine was severe in all lands. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you give us a clear understanding of this passage of scripture? And would you, by your spirit, apply it to our hearts and lives and meet the needs that we have. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In today's reading, I want to take just a quick look at three aspects of Joseph's life 
that point forward in history to Christ. The riches of Christ, the grace of Christ, and the uniqueness of Christ. Let's start with the riches of Christ. We read in Genesis chapter 41, verse 49, that God's supply is immeasurable. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. Joseph, an earthly man, provided earthly blessings to the world, without which they would perish. Christ, the heavenly man, provides heavenly blessings to the world, without which we would perish. I want to talk about Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, but we'll read it at the end of um, this next little point in our outline. And the point is this. Our blessings are not material. I want to read several scriptures to you, if you will just bear with me. Proverbs 11, verse 4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The same chapter, Proverbs 11, but verse 28. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 5. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. Proverbs 28, beginning in verse 20. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. To show partiality is not good, because for a piece of bread a man will transgress. A man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. Then over to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Jesus speaking, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in in steel. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 22. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. And then over to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we'll read 6 through 11. Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money 
is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. And down just a few verses to verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Then to James chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? And then finally to 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Wait, you might say. The Bible has plenty of places that talk about wealth being the blessing of God. We have a whole uh, description of the gospel, the health and wealth gospel, where people quote all sorts of passages that talk about the blessings of God coming in the forms of some sort of financial gain. But there are no dangers associated with God's spiritual blessings being bestowed on us. Look at some of the warnings associated with physical wealth. Let's go to the book of Deuteronomy to start. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and beginning in verse 10. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, Houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And a couple chapters over to chapter 8 and beginning in verse 10. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes which I command you today. Lest, when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God 
who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good in the end. Then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 20 When I have brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey, of which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat, then they will turn to other gods and serve them, and they will provoke me and break my covenant. So we can see the warnings that come along with physical wealth that we need to heed. And if we look at these passages, all these warnings are regarding earned wealth. Imagine what would happen if our wealth was simply bestowed rather than hard-earned. Just to give you a glimpse of what unearned wealth can do to a person, think about this. Nearly 70% of lottery winners are worse off materially and emotionally, and likely spiritually, seven years after their big win. And that's not counting the ones that die due to alcohol and drug-related catastrophes. Edward Ugal, author of the book Money for Nothing, One Man's Journey Through the Dark Side of Lottery Millions, told the Daily Beast, you would be blown away to see how many winners wish they'd never won. We need to remember our blessings are spiritual. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 now. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in Christ. Let's look next at the grace of Christ that we see pointed toward in the life of Joseph. We read in our scripture reading at the beginning that Joseph had two sons before the famine struck. The first son was Manasseh. The second son, Ephraim. I think it's interesting to look at what these two names mean. And Joseph, of course, he says what they mean in the passage. Manasseh means forgetful. And Ephraim means fruitful. As soon as I saw what Joseph had said about his firstborn son, Manasseh, and then, of course, following that, um, what he says about Ephraim, I instantly thought of a passage in Philippians chapter 3. I want to spend a few moments reflecting on this unique passage, just looking at verses 13 and 14. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God 
in Christ Jesus. I just saw Manasseh and Ephraim in there right away, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to that which is ahead. Forgetting is the Greek word epilanthanomai. It means continually striving to put out of mind. It's the only place where this word is put in the continuing present sense. It's not something that we've done in the past. It's something that we continue to work at, putting out of our minds those things which are past. And then the other interesting word in the Greek there in Philippians 3 is the word goal. Goal is the Greek word skopos. We get the English word scope from it, which I'm sure you could hear. What's interesting about a scope is when you look into a scope, it's pointed at one thing in particular. And along the sides, it blocks out all of the other things that are trying to distract us. It takes in only the light from the object at which we are pointing. And I think that is so appropriate for our Christian life that we forget, or maybe a better way to say it is that we should be in the process of forgetting those things that are behind us, like Joseph did when he named his firstborn Manasseh, forgetting that which had happened to him. And then looking forward to the fruitfulness and existing in in the fruitfulness that God is providing now and into the future. And not being distracted by all of the other things that are trying to get in the way. And just as a quick aside, when we look at Genesis 41, verse 52, where are we to be fruitful as Christians? Well, let's look at what Genesis 41, verse 52 says. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. We're not supposed to just wait until everything's going well and then somehow uh, miraculously become fruitful. We are to be fruitful in the land of our affliction. We live in a broken world. You've heard me say it many times. If we are to be fruitful, we need to start today. Yes, things are hard, but we can be fruitful in a difficult place. God has called Christians to be fruitful, to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in the land of our affliction. So we've looked at the riches of Christ. We've looked at the grace of Christ. Finally, let's look briefly at the uniqueness of Christ. In the passage we read, food was only found when people heeded the word of Pharaoh and went to Joseph. The people could have complained, why is Joseph the only one with food? I think I should be able to go anywhere I want and get food. As a matter of fact, I'm going to head away from Joseph to find food. People can deny God's solution for their desperate condition. People can stay where they are, refusing to entreat Christ for salvation. People can head in the opposite direction, looking for salvation, forgiveness, and deliverance from guilt in all sorts of places. 
Some people will even deny that there is a famine. Meanwhile, they starve. But the end result is the same. Whether you deny God's solution to your deepest problem, or you stubbornly ignore your need and stay the course you're on, or you look for salvation or distraction outside of God's solution, or you deny that sin is even a problem or even exists. In the end, starvation for the truth in Christ will accompany you until your final breath. To those that came, though, Joseph provided food. Of course, no analogy is perfect, but there are a couple of scriptures that came to mind when I considered the manner in which Joseph distributed food during the famine. The first one is Isaiah 55. I know we've read a lot of scripture today, but uh, we'll just continue here. We're almost done. Isaiah 55. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? and your wages for what does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and let the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish, accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Finally, Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, speaking about Jesus. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The famine was everywhere, we read in verse 57 of our passage. The problem is the same everywhere in our world today. 
sin. And the solution is the same everywhere. Jesus.